Hey there, everyone. My name is Skylar Clark, and I'm the host of this new podcast, What Can You Do? Um, We are dedicated to shedding light on the work of youth activists across the U.S. I'm a fourth year undergraduate student at UC Berkeley, and I recently collaborated with my fellow students in founding a new organization called Education Reimagined in the Bay. This is a shameless plug, but it is related, so I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, Fundamentally, we are an organization which advocates for racial and socioeconomic equity in education through policy and academic research, student lobbying, social media campaigning, community and coalition building across California. You get the idea. Um, I was inspired to start this podcast because as our organization and the scope of our work grew, we also expanded our network of contacts in the youth and education activism community, especially among high school and fellow college advocates who are doing amazing work to raise up marginalized voices, close the digital learning divide, and more. I realized that for some of us young people, while we really care and get really passionate about affecting change in our communities, we might not always know where to start, who to reach out to, or what can even be done about the problems we face. I definitely didn't know when I was in high school, but meeting and collaborating with fellow youth activists showed me that it is very much possible to make change no matter how old you are. And it also gave me the idea to shed light on the amazing and impactful work they do with the hope of inspiring other young people to do the same. I guess I hope that broadcasting conversations like these might demystify the activism process a little and make the task of affecting change seem both a little less daunting and a little more doable. So for our debut episode, I interview Hope Schinderman, the founder and president of Board of Boredom. As Hope will go on to tell you, Board of Boredom is a not-for-profit organization dedicated to advocating for educational equity, especially during the pandemic, through a variety of efforts, including offering free virtual tutoring in group classes, fundraising to close the digital divide, and more. So without any further delay, here's Hope. Okay, Hope, so just to get our conversation started, I'd love it if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and your background as both a student and an activist. All right, so I am Hope, and something that's really fundamental to my story is the fact that I am neurodiverse. So for those of you who don't know, being neurodiverse or neurodivergent just basically means that my brain doesn't function in the same way as your typical human being. I have learning disabilities that have really severely impacted my life in a lot of ways, not all of them negative. In fact, I've really been learning to coexist with my learning disabilities and use them as kind of a superpower, but that's just really integral to my story and motivates a lot of the disability justice work that I do, which relates to Board of Boredom because one of the groups that we work to serve are other neurodivergent learners because I know firsthand how the social distance and online learning is affecting non-neurotypical population. So that's just very important to my story. Additionally, I have grown up in a Jewish family and one of the core Jewish values is Sadaka, which translates to justice. And I've grown up in a community that really preaches about justice and all the learning that I've had in that community and the actions that I've taken, they're all about Sadaka and Tikkun Olam or healing the world. And it's something that I've grown up with and something I've become really passionate about. And really social justice and activism intersects with my personal life in so many different ways. For example, I'm drawn to punk rock music, which for those of you who don't know is a genre that has abundant social themes and political messages and is about changing the world and 
you know, protesting the status quo and making this a better place to live in. And I also am very invested in philosophy, specifically absurdism and existentialism, with it, which again have that crucial intersection with social justice and activism and, you know, creating one's meaning, reproducing it, and overall just bettering the human experience for others as well as yourself. And some of the seminal figures in that existential work are you know, key activists throughout history, people like Frantz Fanon and uh, Sartre, Simone de Beauvoir, you know, people who have been really, really invested in social justice and positive change. And I think that a lot of people tell me my name, Hope, is fitting. And I do think that that makes sense, considering so much of my life is about being an activist and creating hope for others. Wow. Super. Thank you. No, thank you so much for like sharing all of that. And I want this to be a space like thank you for sharing about your learning disability. And I'd love to ask you more about everything you just mentioned. Um, my brother also has learning disabilities and watching him go through the education system and not always like having an equitable experience where he is being served or having a space where those kind of different approaches to learning are being honored, I think is very important. So um, just starting with that, I'd love to learn more about like how that in particular, and I love the way that you were framing it as a positive and it changed your perspective and your outlook on how you approached education. So how that has particularly informed your approach to activism, um, especially with Board of Boredom. Yeah, I'd just love to hear a little bit more about that if you're comfortable sharing. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's such a huge part of my life. I'm totally comfortable with it. So first, I want to preface this by saying that I'm incredibly thankful for all of the resources that I've had access to throughout my education experience. In fact, it was a teacher who recommended that I get officially tested for the first time. And throughout high school, I've just had such amazing resources. And to think of the people who didn't have access to those resources, I know that personally, I wouldn't have been as joyful in my educational experience. And I just wouldn't have had the experience that I'm having now if not for that additional support in resources. And I realized again that during the time of the pandemic, the learning loss was great for neurodiverse learners. Um, great as in large, obviously not wonderful. Definitely. And you know, I realized that myself because there was a lack of individual support just because of the logistics of it all and because learning through a screen is very complicated. So I wanted to do something to supplement the learning loss that people have, specifically neurodiverse people, as well as other vulnerable groups, like students who are based in the United States but speak English as a second language and generally under-resourced students. And that's just something that was really important to me. Most definitely. And, you know, I think a lot about how approaches to neurodivergence and or just different ways of learning, whether English is your second language or you're more of a visual learner or whatever it may be. I remember um, doing a reading about so-called special or unique needs education and how often approaches that are more accessible tend to be better for everyone, whether you are so-called like unique needs or normal needs, quote unquote. So I think it's really important that we change the way and the frame that we approach education and many social infrastructures in that we don't look at it as like, we're over here and then other people and their special needs are over here. It's more equitable and accessible for all. 
I agree. And that them and us dichotomy is incredibly problematic and, you know, most intersects of life. And it really manifests itself in ableism, Mm -hmm. the them and us dichotomy, because there's the idea that, you know, we can do certain things and they can't do those things. And because of that, they're inferior, they're subhuman, which is obviously very problematic because that's informed things like eugenics movements, which are just despicable, nefarious things. And you know, we just have to work to break down those dichotomies and show people that people with learning disabilities aren't that different from others in terms of their humanity. Right. You know, they're all humans. They can, it's we can feel, able, we can not less abled. Yeah. Right. And disabled has that kind of pejorative connotation. At the same time, most people, myself included, prefer to use disability language rather than euphemisms like differently abled because most of us aren't ashamed of our disabilities. I mean, I even, I take pride in my learning disabilities because, as I said earlier, they're kind of my secret superpower because I've learned how to coexist with them and I've learned that they give me certain advantages. For example, um, you know, when I hyperfixate on things like my philosophy reading, for example, I get very into them and just dive so deeply. And that has drastically improved my critical thinking skills, writing skills, etc. And I found ways to coexist with my disabilities and they don't, yeah, they do make life harder in some, some aspects, but I'm learning to exist with them just like someone might learn to exist with any other trait. Right. No, thank you for correcting me. And I, I know. Oh, I didn't mean it. that way. <laughs> no, no, of course. No, I just think it's important to understand like the, the power of language in terms of issues like these and how language can empower people or disempower people and how the titles we choose to affect can really impact our perspectives. So I just wanted mm-hmm. to like, thank you for that. Um, no, but thank you for sharing. And another thing that you touched on, two things that you touched on that I really want to learn more about you because I just think that it's so interesting with your punk rock music and the way that you talk about philosophy. I'd love to know about specifically like the activism language and like political resistance you're speaking about in punk rock music and how that informs you because that is just so cool to me. Oh yeah, of course. Thank you. So, I mean, part of me is just drawn to the music because it's just so dynamic in terms of the beats and rhythms and that's just something I find really stimulating and an added and kind of ironic benefit is the lyric. So I'm not sure how familiar you and the listeners are with punk rock music, but it really is protest music. And there are a bunch of different genres that focus on different things. For example, uh, one of the seminal punk rock movements is Riot Girl, which is feminism through punk rock and a lot of bands like uh, Bikini Kill and um, like Hands Off Gretel, bands like that, they're really into promoting women's rights and feminism. There's a band called Child's Birth that is about, you know, gender equality as well as queer feminism. And, you know, there's another genre of punk called Queercore that specifically focuses on um, transgender and LGBTQ issues Mm -hmm. in the field. Yeah. And even other bands, you know, like hardcore punk is very focused on social issues and creating change. Bands like when you look at the Sex Pistols, the Clash, those classic punk bands, they're all have these massive societal messages. In fact, I was talking with a friend a while ago about the Spanish Civil War and the rise of fascism in Europe, and I was able to reference a clash song, Spanish Bombs, to kind of explain the days of 39. Right. 
That is so cool. And I was, I was just curious to learn more because I was just taking a class where we were specifically talking about American punk rock music and Patti Smith and all these like really key figures in changing what music meant at the time. So I just think it's interesting to describe the, uh, not clash, the intersection between like political activism and how that shows up in music. So thanks. That's wonderful. And I would support the term clash because yeah. of the, the <laughs> parallel with the band. Yeah. Totally. That sounds like an awesome class. Wow. Yeah. It's just a little, um, kind of drop, name drop. It's a class called Sounding American. It's a complete kind of interdisciplinary class at Cal. So definitely recommend for anybody who's um, able to take it. But that's awesome. And with Board of Boredom, so sorry, just connecting it yeah, back. One of our planks is fundraising to help close the digital divide, because obviously that's something that's so pervasive around the world and is really contributing to learning loss, especially during the pandemic, when if one doesn't have technology access or broadband right. access, really they can't learn at all, which is such a problem. So we've been fundraising for that. We've raised over 10K and part of our fundraising effort was a virtual benefit concert. And we invited some local punk rock bands to perform at that virtual benefit concert. It's posted on our YouTube if you want to watch it. Yeah, I was looking through your website and I saw that. I was like, that's such a cool idea, especially <laughs> I have a lot of friends in the music industry who are kind of getting into the world of virtual performing. So seeing that applied for like the point of fundraising and closing the digital divide is super cool and super creative. Yeah, because we wanted to bring people together during this time because concerts are things that people miss and that ability to engage with others on common subject matter, whether it's listening to the same music and rocking out together right. or, um, you know, just having something on in the background and talking or just being able to collectively engage with something with other people. That's really been lost because of the pandemic. And we kind of wanted to supplement that social interaction and provide people with the ability to interact with each other through music and come together in this common experience while also fundraising to close the digital divide. And we had over 900 people come to our concert, which was pretty cool. And a lot of people loved it. And we were really happy with how it turned out. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's so amazing. Um, I guess before we move on to like the org um, and the mission, which is super important, um, I guess I wanted to know a little bit more about like your personal life, like as a high school student or like um, what you're hoping to pursue as like an individual and um, in your history as an activist, just like even before Board of Boredom. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So I am a high school student at a school called Harvard Westlake in Los Angeles, well, Studio City particularly. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm a high school student who's just like any other in the terms of the fact that I take classes, I go to school, um, do things, but I really love to learn and acquire information. Education has been something that's so fundamental and so important to me. I just love it. I consider myself primarily a humanities student, although I do find the sciences to be incredibly compelling. For example, this year and last year, I've taken two history classes. I'm doing an independent study this year about settler colonialism, colonialism, wow. neocolonialism, and decolonization. That's a theme that I'm very passionate about. And yeah, I've always considered myself to be kind of a social justice warrior. As I said earlier in my introduction, you know, that's my name. My name is Hope. And people have the opportunity, and this is linking back to my existentialist beliefs, people have the opportunity to create their own essence, their own meaning, define themselves. And I was defined at birth. My name was Hope. 
But, you know, being a human, I had the opportunity to choose my own path. But I realized that through the actions that I took and reproduced every single day of my life, that I was hope. I am an activist and I aim to bring hope and change to others. I, most of my extracurriculars center around social justice. I interned with an anti-genocide organization called Jewish World Watch and I've interned with them for a couple years now and I do research. I worked with really closely with the director of education to design a comprehensive curriculum to teach about past genocides, genocide prevention, and the ways that youth can get involved in preventing human rights abuses and genocides that are occurring right now. Um, last year, I organized a rally for the Uyghurs to get the Uyghur Human Rights Act passed. Right. And we did that last September, and it was a successful rally with the Uyghur diaspora community. We planned it with them. I've done projects specifically about gender violence in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where we work with grassroots organizations like the Pansy Hospital to help victims of gender violence as well as educate people in the community so as not to buy into the ideologies that cause gender-based violence. And again, of course, I very strongly reject neo-colonialism and that's why it's really important that Jewish World Watch works through grassroots organizations. And when I talk about Border Boredom's international programs, I'll talk about why it's important that we have local partners as well. I've also interned with the Loyola Project for the Innocent for a couple of years, which is an official innocence project. Um, and so I've worked with them and I've done a lot of stuff from opening and responding to inmate mail, looking into cases, informing them whether we can take them on or not, to investigating cases myself and looking at old child documents and analyzing them with staff attorneys. That work has just been really important to me last year and possibly this year. Um, I was on the LA Mayor's Youth Council, which was another way to kind of be a social justice warrior a little bit more through the bureaucracy though. And that was a really great experience to learn about public policy and the way that government functions while attempting to make material uh, material change in the lives of people. My project primarily focused on the prevalence of substance abuse in Angelino youth as well as people experiencing homelessness in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I also, sorry, this is just more social justice stuff. Um, I am one of the co-presidents of my school's Jewish Student Union and a lot of the activities that we do are very much centered on social justice and you know just Sedaka and Tikkun Olam, those Jewish values in action which is really important. I'm a member of my temple's teen community service organization where we fundraise and work with other organizations um, both secular and religious to promote social justice for a variety of different causes. For example, in the past, the groups that I've been on have been very adamant about working on LGBTQ and women's rights, as well as educational equality and environmental justice. Um, yeah. No, thank you. No, that's, I'm just like in awe. That's amazing. And I love thank that you. you have so many, your, the issues that you tackle in your social justice work, like span so many different communities and both international and domestic impacts, which I think is super important because while we have like, I think sometimes in our like sort of modern world, if you will, we get a little overwhelmed by like the sheer amount of, if I don't want to call it, I mean, problems, just things that are happening that we might feel disempowered by. And that's kind of why I wanted to ask you about your personal background, because like you said, like, I'm just a quote unquote normal high school student. And I think a lot of people in your position um, or at your age might feel that they 
don't know where to start or that they don't know how to get involved or that they don't know all these opportunities exist. And I think that that's becoming more with the information age and there's just more ways to get involved and more information readily available that's starting to change. But I just think it's important. That's kind of why I wanted to speak with you just to shed light on like all the things that we can do to make a difference and a genuine tangible impact. So thank you for all the amazing work you do. And that's just really, I think an inspiration to a lot of people. So that's of great. Course. Thank you. And I know that a lot of youth out there can feel really impuissant and powerless when it comes to matters of social justice, because they think, you know, I'm sitting here on a dying rock and I'm just one person and how am I supposed to make a difference right. in the world? But there are so many ways that people can get involved and even individual actions matter. You know, you can be a one man revolution in yourself. And if we have a bunch of them, that leads to mass social change. Definitely. It's never just been a group goes poof and appears out of nowhere. No, it's the collective actions of individuals who realize a common goal and act to achieve it. And there are many ways that people can be activists and social justice warriors. They can do that through education, whether that's educating themselves or others. It can be as simple as opening a newspaper or I know Gen Z, we're not too hot on newspapers, opening Apple News on your phone, going through accounts on Instagram that are about activism. And I know that a lot of them have been popping up more and more lately. Doing stuff like that, educating yourself, spreading that information to others and even others who might be empowered to act and feel more empowered to act, discuss issues with friends to to help them get involved. I remember last year when I was working on my rally for the Uyghurs with JWW, a lot of my friends weren't aware that that was going on, but simply by talking about the genocide occurring, I was able to inform more people about this issue and they were inspired to take action and join, join in the cause. And, you know, you can also be an advocate and whether that means going and of course putting your mask on because we want to be safe. <laughs> outside and standing on a street corner or handing out flyers or just talking about things that are going on, whether it's that, whether it's organizing an opportunity to speak somewhere or contacting a political representative, that's advocacy. And then of course, there's action, which can be getting involved with other organizations, starting your own organization, getting involved with a project like Board of Boredom and working to tutor a new generation of activists during our Social Justice Fridays. There are so many ways that people can get involved. And unfortunately, a lot of youths just don't realize that those opportunities are available to them. However, as you said, I do think that that realization is coming more and more and more as we see this moment of mass social change, as tensions reach a boiling point and people are seeing ordinary people just like them taking action around them in all different ways. And I hope to inspire other youth activists to take action with Board of Boredom and whether that means working through Board of Boredom with us or doing some other social justice venture because it is possible and it just starts with a thought. Exactly. And I like that you point out, I think it's really important that when we see these like monolithic or I mean, they become monolithic in our minds at organizations like whether it's like ACLU or things that seem like, oh, wow, they're making such big change. Like how how can I be a part of that or how can I make that big of an impact? But like you said, it's not like that all started because an individual collective like it's all a collective of individuals putting their effort in and their time to make a difference. So it's not I think the point I'm trying to make is that activism can sometimes become like this abstract intangible concept for like when you're trying to start out and like, well, how can I do that? But like you said, there's so many different ways, levels and avenues to get involved that 
there's an, there's always an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I legitimately started Board of Boredom from lying on my bed after an A push test and going, but also (laughs) realizing, but also realizing how lucky I was to even be able to have an A push test to be tested on that material and thinking of people who had been suffering learning loss even more friends who told me that their teachers just gave them a packet and said go turn this in sometime in June Um, people who had younger siblings who went to more under-resourced schools whose teachers had hadn't really been able to continue teaching people who simply just didn't feel supported and you know my own experiences as a neurodivergent student and how the lack of individual support that I was getting when compared to in-person school Mm -hmm. had been a little bit detrimental and how awful that must be for people who had less resources and I knew that I could not stand idly by and I was so inspired by all of the amazing work that my own teachers were doing last year my junior year in high school right and I knew that I had to act and I texted four friends who had diverse interests but were all really interested in interested in education and we had a group FaceTime because it was at the time when we hadn't quite mastered Zoom yet because yeah. it was only you know the second week of quarantine in early March and Very early on. you know yeah we had that group FaceTime not Zoom and we discussed this idea and it started as kind of a tutoring project for free tutoring and then morphed into group classes and closing the digital divide and other special programs that I'd be happy to go into later on in the podcast. Yeah, I mean, that kind of brings me to my next couple questions about like both your organization mission, organization's mission and how you got started. I mean, you kind of already covered like where the inception came from after your A-push test. Um, but I guess we could kind of backtrack a little to the mission of Board of Boredom. Um, and then maybe we can talk about where you started launching your ideas um, and how you got it off the ground. Yeah, I can do. So Board of Boredom is a not-for-profit organization that is dedicated to educational equality for all. Additionally, we strive to bring enrichment opportunities to those who have historically been excluded from them, and as such, we take special care to cater to neurodiverse students, children who speak English as a second language or do not speak English at all, and students from under-resourced communities all around the world. And we work to accomplish our goal through a five-pronged approach of group classes on weekdays and weekends in a variety of different subjects for students between the ages of four and 18 individual tutoring and pretty much any subject imaginable for an extended age group and global education programs that are basically providing our programs through local partners in other regions of the world, special programs for students with disabilities and closing the digital divide. Awesome. No, thanks. Thanks for that breakdown. And I think that definitely comes through on your website just from like the background research Mm -hmm. I've done. Um, and I think I'd love to get a little more into the details of your services later. Um, but just to discuss kind of beyond the inception, like how this process really came together and going from like four friends and you to this like organization that impacts hundreds of students all over. So I guess my first question would be beyond launching your ideas, like how did you make the drawing board come to life? Um, and maybe like what resources you used, who you reached out to for support in your community? Um, yeah. Yeah, so we just, we had a couple of phone calls to start getting the ball rolling, and we really started this all not even during a week. It was a Thursday when we first had our first call, and we went on Friday, and we were working, and then the emails started rolling in on that Saturday, and we didn't even have our website up yet, 
And we really went through community leaders that we knew, people from other social justice programs that we've engaged with. Our school was very, very supportive of us during this time, and they spread the word as well. And it was just a matter of taking advantage of contacts that we had and spreading the word to anyone we thought would be interested or could even reach people who were interested. For example, um, I have some contacts in the LA Mayor's office from Mayor's Youth Council. So I you know, hastily took advantage of them, contacted them. I contacted bosses at other human rights-based organizations that I had worked with in the past, community leaders like our rabbis and school teachers. Um, there is an organization that I've worked with and even went through their programs that specifically works with neurodiverse students and students with physical disabilities. And I contacted the leader of that organization and asked her to spread the word because obviously that program, because it was really based on being in person, had closed down and I wanted to provide support for students who that program helped because, you know, I had gone through them. I know personally how much it helped me and I couldn't imagine being a young child not able to have that kind of therapy offered from, you know, specific organizations. So I asked her to spread the word as well and my friends did the same with connections they had and we just the organization burgeoned so much. We exploded again. As I said, we got almost a hundred requests for individual tutoring and joining the mailing list, actually over a hundred, closer to 200, just within our first day of operation, before the website was even established, before we had a board of boredom email address, just through our personal email accounts. And now, I mean, you've seen our website. I'm personally proud of it. (laughs) I think it's very pretty. Thank you. Now we have that our operation is really solid. We're even authorized to give out the Presidential Volunteer Service Award to our volunteers. Wow. And yeah, it, it is important to us to give back to our volunteers who could be doing other things with their life, yet choose to give to people and choose to take their free time and their resources and use them to better the lives of others. We really want to be able to award them with things like the Presidential Volunteer Service Award and a lot of other cool team building and fun opportunities we have at Fort of Fordham. Community is really important to us because as I mentioned earlier, there's definitely a social loss during the time of the pandemic. And that reminds me, Board of Boredom will continue beyond the pandemic and there will be a new normal and Board of Boredom we'll figure out how to coexist with the new normal and whether that's in person or virtual we will 100% be continuing the services that we offer and we have been planning for the post-pandemic world since the summer but anyways community is really important at Board of Boredom we've had over 800 volunteers and they're high school and university students and some adults And we really wanted to show them what kind of community Board of Boredom was. And we wanted to provide social interaction for them. We wanted to connect all of our volunteers from all over the world. We legitimately have volunteers from every single continent except Antarctica. I didn't know that. That's so cool. Oh, thank you. We have our Slack and we have a channel that's dedicated to, you know, fun conversations, question topics, memes, and, you know, other fun party parrots. Slack users know about party parrots. 
bored of boredom. We love our party parrot emojis. We also do team building meetings once a month where we do announcements with everyone on the team. And then we break out and play games. We played virtual mafia, not among us, virtual mafia. And we oh, I loved that do... game when I was in high school. So mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, we love it. We've done games like Common Threads. We have, we have, we're divided into departments as well based on subjects. So we have, you know, the core five subjects, academic subjects, as well as miscellaneous, which are the academic subjects that don't necessarily fit into the core five, um, a recreation department that focuses on physical activities like yoga and any other kind of athletic-based thing that doesn't fit neatly into category arts as well, um, our social justice department that bases their curriculum and classes entirely on social justice, et cetera, et cetera. And those departments have two meetings every month where they do cool team building activities. We have a bunch of different administrative committees like fundraising and public relations. And they also pride themselves on team building because, you know, Board of Boredom is a community and we want to provide interpersonal connection to people during this time and others in the best way we can. And there's also some awesome cultural exchange that happens over Board of Boredom. You know, I've gotten texts from people who've gotten involved with the organization telling me about friendships they made with people who are based on the other side of the world. I mean, the world is a sphere, but on a whole nother continent. That's amazing that you're facilitating facilitating that kind of like cross-cultural exchange and like building a community where people can have these friendships. And I think that especially like you said, like it's not just learning loss, it's social loss and emphasizing that, especially among students, because Um, At my job, I work as a tutor at my university and we've been discussing in our professional development a lot about how like rapport building and like human connection is something that's often lost in online learning, whether it's between tutors or between lecturers and students, whatever, and that we're not always conscious of the fact that like we need social engagement to be healthy. So I think that that community building and social interaction is like a big part of like your mission to serve not only like the students that you engage with, but also your volunteers, I think is very important. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the importance of community building and what you were speaking about with collaborating with other organizations as you were getting Board of Boredom off the ground, Mm -hmm. just because I think that we can have a bigger impact as social justice advocates and just as community members in general when we work together. And sometimes it's, we feel like alone, like I was mentioning before, but the more that we collaborate with other pre-existing organizations, the more impact and effect we can have. So I just think it's really great that that was part of your process of getting this started was collaborating with people that were already doing this work in your community. Yeah, and even organizations, a lot of the organizations that we contributed with didn't even directly coincide with our mission of Mm -hmm. educational equality. They were just other people who were passionate about human rights and other activists who had connections and who knew people who could provide resources. And a lot of the nature of our work, for example, our our fifth prong, closing the digital divide, relies on partnerships because we're working with organizations that have dedicated themselves to closing the digital divide pretty much as soon as the computer was uh became ubiquitous and the digital divide really truly began organizations like one laptop per child and closed the gap Mm -hmm. and we have formed these partnerships with them so that we can donate the money we've raised to them so that they can further their mission of closing the digital divide, but also so that we can work with the kids that they have already served. For example, One Laptop Per Child, we have, you know, formed a really great partnership with them and have some connections with organizations that are working with some under-resourced kids, specifically in Central and South America. 
these partnerships have been infinitely helpful for us as well to just be able to engage with other organizations and see what they're doing and to really help our activism coalesce and become that collective and have that greater change. In fact, we're a member of a coalition of educational nonprofits mm -hmm. uh, called the ENC. And we work with some other educational nonprofits with that and their organizations with different missions who focus on different topics. But it was just been really awesome to collaborate with them and share resources and best practices and be able to work together to strive for educational equality, which is really what matters. That's the point of this. It's the fight for educational equality for everyone. Of course. And could you tell me a bit more about ENC and how that you guys came to be a part of them and just how that partnership functions? Yeah, so there was this group and it was started by people who had worked with the Fair Opportunity Project, which mm -hmm. primarily works with kids applying to college and university mm -hmm. and making sure that everyone has equal chance to succeed in the college application process, which mm -hmm. is crucial and, Definitely. you know, really, really important in counteracting the mechanism of SAT and ACT that has served as literal eugenics projects and ways to keep people out of higher education. So Agreed. that work is really important. And they found us from a USA Today article in which we were listed as one of the best educational resources during the pandemic. And they just sent us an email and we're like, hey, want to join this coalition? And we, we talked at that point, we were probably only... 200 volunteers nowhere near where we are right now and again our numbers in terms of volunteers and students we serve are growing at exponential rates and they Amazing. sent us an email and we we're like oh this sounds really awesome so we met with them and you know they have a couple meetings a month and we send representatives and we're able to interact with these other organizations primarily based in the northeast of the united states and the West Coast, and we've been able to talk with them and collaborate with them and form these really important professional relationships so that we can all work together for this common goal of educational equality for all. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, Board of Boredom had the opportunity to present at a um, conference from the Fair Opportunity Project that was basically about resources for upperclassmen in high school applying to university and we mm -hmm. spoke both as an educational resource for high school students because we provide tutoring and group classes which is you know things that can help high school students either in their academic journey finding extra support and also providing stimulation and something to do but we also present it as a volunteer opportunity that mm -hmm. people can get engaged in if they want to do so as an extracurricular because a lot of other extracurriculars especially during the pandemic have been canceled and board of boredom is a way that people can get involved in social justice and can get involved with other people Mm -hmm. Yeah, the social justice realm is definitely adapting to make sure that there's always opportunities to engage and just congratulations on both the mention in the US, um, USA Today article and just being able to present at the conference and having that multifaceted approach of being a resource and also an opportunity for people to get engaged. That's well, great. Thank you. Um, so moving through my list, um, I think for like the how did you start section of our conversation, I also wanted to ask on the flip side, like what challenges did you face in like getting this off the ground, if any, and like how did you overcome them as a collective? Um, just because I think that sometimes it can be easy to feel knocked down and like how did you persist, I suppose I would say. So initially there really only were 
five of us. Mm-hmm. And when we had a hundred some odd requests to roll in, that was really daunting. And yeah. we were we were scrambling to get our operation together. And you know, it really we were texting friends, talking to people at our school, promoting it and school wide email blasts and on social media, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was really just a community of people coming together and forming and that community is constantly changing and morphing in order to suit what we need at any given time. And, you know, we've just had such an amazing support network that we've been able to construct ourselves mm-hmm. and people getting involved with Gorda Borda. We truly aren't just an organization or a volunteer opportunity or extracurricular. We really are a community and a support network for everyone involved. I mean, well, I'm on a first name basis with so many people who are part of Board of Boredom. And I think that's very unique because a lot of large social justice operations that have a you know, a hierarchy or tier of people, you know, the president and founders don't necessarily interact with the everyday volunteers. And I'm proud to say that I've really been able to do that with Board of Boredom and form a community with so many people and make friends with people who I didn't know before the pandemic, who just applied to join Board of Boredom and, you know, form relationships that way. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's really crucial that you point out this idea of like being on a first name basis with all these people, regardless of the so-called like hierarchy of your org and kind of reimagining what leadership can look like in social activism, as well as like in all facets of life. I, I was working um, with this other student at Cal um, talking about this class she wanted to teach about leadership and transformational leadership and how we can be most impactful and effective by reimagining what it means to be a leader versus like an authoritarian or someone who's like above or below. So I like that you bring that up because I think that that's something we could all benefit from in um, the positions that we take, whether that's at work or in school or in social justice. Yeah, you know, what if we... We have an organizational structure in order to make sure that we can really accomplish our goals, but we don't want it to feel like there's a hierarchy at all. Mm -hmm. Everyone who's part of the board is as equal as the newest tutor. Mm -hmm. And we are forming that community. We're a web, not a tower. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Yeah, most definitely. Like still have structure, but it's just Mm -hmm. a different like lens through which you approach collaboration egalitarian yeah of course collaborative it's not a boss we're truly you know leading and collaborating there's a picture that my boss at jww always brings up whenever she works with educating high school students and it's a Mm -hmm. picture of a group of penguins and it basically asks to identify who's the leader Uh everyone goes i don't know because they look at the at the penguin in the front the other penguins and you know, they're all just penguins. They're doing mm-hmm. the same thing. Exactly. Could very well be the per- the penguin, I said person, in the back <laughs> bringing up the rear or the penguin in the front or the penguin in the middle or maybe a penguin who isn't even pictured. It's, it's all a matter of collaboration and helping each other achieve mutual goals. That's a great example. And you said that that was something that was shown to kids. Uh, yeah, high school students. So JWW has a teen ambassador program. Okay, gotcha. and part of it is about, you know, teaching youth to be advocates. I actually had the opportunity to help lead that this summer, which was really amazing. And, Very cool. You know, we show the penguin picture to really teach the students about what it means to be a leader and how mm-hmm. they can be anti-genocide ambassadors and lead the fight about against genocide without right. being authoritarian and without just being a boss. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like a great opportunity too. And I like the idea of the penguin picture. 
I think yeah. that's a good way of approaching it. Um, you know, penguins are cute. Who doesn't love a good penguin? <laughs> I know, exactly. And the fact, I mean, especially because they look so uniform. I mean, it kind of make, points out your own biases and like, well, am I looking for a taller penguin or am I looking for like a more masculine, like the different like ways that we might like associate leadership based on like social biases that we've been raised with. So looking at leadership from a more egalitarian point of view, that's awesome. <laughs> um, look at me I'm going off on the penguin picture um, no you gotta you gotta appreciate the penguin picture uh, <laughs> totally. unfortunately who knows how much longer we're going to be able to have penguin pictures at the rate that climate oh. change and global warming are occurring so we got to save the penguin picture as well we exactly. to protect the penguins in the picture yeah and that's jumping back to what you said earlier about you mentioned how some of the organizations that you were doing community building with weren't like necessarily in your like niche of education um, per se but, you know, I was just speaking to another activist about this, about how important it is to, like, build sort of, like, um, cross-departmental, if you will, coalitions. Like, whether or not that other organization seems, like, to directly fall in line with what you're working on. Like, just realizing that we're all working together towards, like, common goals and that we can all inform each other's mission in a positive way. So, like, whether it's climate change, uh, social ju justice, uh, public health, or I think all of these things kind of come together to create a more equitable future. So, um, it's it's yeah. just about justice mm -hmm. and the ways in which we can all achieve social justice and in some of our work with other organizations for example um we have a lot of volunteers who are members of a, an organization that primarily deals with environmental justice and mm -hmm. they've been really passionate workers and really awesome volunteers with our social justice department mm -hmm. teaching classes about environmental justice totally. and physically healing the world mm -hmm. most definitely yeah, I'm just thinking because like you kind of answered most of my questions about like recruitment because that's something I really wanted to talk about in the sense of like, where did you find these people and like some of them are your friends, but I also thought it was super cool that you mentioned that you have volunteers and or possibly students from all over the world. So how did you create like a global network and this is also um, just for context how old quote unquote is Board of Boredom. So how long has it taken you to get to the point that you're at now? So we were born in early March. We had just recently had our six month anniversary of Board of Boredom. Thank <laughs> you. We were all very happy about it. Um, yeah, and I'm gonna shout out one of the other board members, Yvette, because she just did such a wonderful job posting about Board of Boredom on websites. Like, oh, amazing. Very good. That really advertised internships and volunteer opportunities for high mm -hmm. school and university students. And a lot of people found out about Board of Boredom that way. And again, creating a community is really important for driving volunteer recruitment because a lot of people volunteered and planned for it to be, oh, maybe just teach one class and go. But then they realized how much they loved Board of Boredom. Yeah. I'm not I'm not making this up I've seriously had people come to mm -hmm, me and mm -hmm. tell me that they intended to do this just for July and now they've just taken like a on passing thing. huge leadership roles and it's September and they have five individual clients and teach a class every week and have recruited eight friends wow. you know people people have really grown to love working at Board of Boredom and they love the community and the fun aspects of working with us that it's been really easy for them to recruit their friends to join us too and our student network Work is also global. We have students on every single continent except Antarctica. And because just one more to go. Yeah, just one more to go. We got this. <laughs> and yeah, and people have found out about us through our website, through word of mouth, people spreading the word through emails, social media, uh, you know, advertisements, the 
you know, articles and news sources have been a really great source of driving recruitment of volunteers and students. We were written about by the CSO of the Bezos Foundation, Ellen Galinsky, uh -huh. for her book um, or a nonprofit research organization called the Families and Work Institute. And Very cool. yeah, we just worked with a lot of people. We were put on review.com as a good resource for single parents. We had that USA Today article and we were listed as the seventh best educational resource for remote learning during the coronavirus pandemic. Mm -hmm. We were written about in the Palisades Post and the Beverly Hills Courier and a lot of other community websites that were both, you know, national and international. And that was really important for us. We also have our third prong of our approach, which is global education, because Board of Boredom recognizes that the need for education isn't limited to the United States. Of course. inequality is such a global issue, and we want to be able to help remedy it or at least mitigate its effects everywhere. And so as such, we offer programs to students worldwide, but also have specific partnerships and programs in various areas, including in rural Southwest China, which is an area that is particularly under-resourced. We partnered with an organization that is based in that area so that we can provide classes conducted in Mandarin to those wow. students who are particularly under-resourced. We can provide individual academic support as well as our group classes that we record and post on platforms like WeChat and and then also providing foreign language aid because a lot of these students have expressed a desire to learn English and learn about other global cultures. And Board of Boredom certainly is not in the business of neocolonialism. That is something I very, very, very strongly reject. So it's very, very important for us to have these grassroots partnerships and work to provide our services through local people who know the needs of the community and, and are part of the community and can serve them in the best way possible. We also have a similar program that that's functioning in the Northern Triangle of Central and South America. So that, for those of you who don't know, is El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. So we've partnered with OLPC as well as a bunch of El Salvadorian university students to bring our programs to the Northern Triangle, which is an area where the governments have very much failed in public education, unfortunately. And there are also really prevalent social issues that provide disruption to life, for example, a femicide that has been continuous in the Northern Triangle. And we've partnered with these Salvadorian university students to bring education and a source of, you know, kind of solace and refuge to students in the Northern Triangle. And again, not in the business of neocolonialism. So we are working with local members of the population. And again, you might be thinking and about technology access and broadband connection and that again brings us to the fifth point of closing the digital divide because you know since the development of modern technology the digital divide has been incredibly pervasive but on account of the pandemic and this new normal the impact of the schism is so much greater than ever before thus we've been raising funds to pass on to organizations that work to close that gap and we've raised over ten thousand dollars through initiatives like our virtual benefit concert that received over 900 attendees our sweatshirt sale shameless self-promotion i designed the sweatshirts they're super cute oh they're so cool <laughs> you designed those, those are awesome. yeah we have a sweatshirt sale and one of our board members greta designed our logo shout out to them and um 
Wow. And we, I'm going to shout out all the board members right now, Yvette, Katarina, Catherine, have all just done such great work. And then there are so many other leaders in Board of Boredom that would take so much time to mention, but they know who they are and I thank them very much. And yeah, we've been, we've even figured out how to adapt a bake sale for the age of coronavirus. (laughs) We, um, yeah, how does that work? So we have people in such diverse areas that basically people on our website fill out a request for baked goods, the baked goods that we sell, and they have the option to donate more than just the baked goods cost. And then someone who's in that area bakes or and or drives and someone else can drive if the baker needs assistance and they deliver the baked goods and of course everyone is wearing protective gear when they bake them and drop them off Mm -hmm. and i've heard from people who've ordered the baked goods that they have been delicious (laughs) i mean i would hope so but i don't doubt and that's such a like fun cute way of also engaging um especially with a bake sale which is something that you think of traditionally like physical like in person Yeah, you know, people also are missing their baked goods during the pandemic. I most certainly am myself, for sure. (laughs) I mean, and sometimes maybe have a little bit too much if I want to bake cookies, but unrelated. I may or may not have consumed more baked goods during the pandemic. Oops. (laughs) It's okay. This is a space of validation. We're all kind of pigging out right now. It's fine. (laughs) What else can we do? Um, (laughs) But no, I'm just like in awe of um, the space the scope of your impact. And I also really appreciate the distinction between like neocolonialism and kind of like intercultural collaboration or like um, global collaboration, because that I remember I volunteered abroad as um, an underclassman in college and with this organization called Learning Enterprises as a volunteer English teacher and a big part of their training and the way that they represented their organization and their message and their like mission was especially not neocolonialism, like collaborating with local community members to see where need was the greatest for underserved communities who wanted English language instruction and not being like, well, this is something that we're giving to you. Like this is something, a a service that we want to offer, but also learn from that community, engage in service and have it be a cross-cultural exchange rather than like some sort of, we're going to come here and do this for our own benefit. Yeah, exactly. I think, unfortunately, a lot of organizations exist for very self-serving purposes, whether that's to look good on a resume or whatnot. And that makes me so disappointed and really devastated. But then I see the organizations that are actually making an impact. And those are the organizations that have been started to actually help people. And that kind of restores my hope and really does make me smile to see organizations that are doing good for the sake of doing good. They're doing well and doing good, as I like to say. And yeah, also it just simply wouldn't be effective if I were to try to, I live in Los Angeles, if I were to try to launch a program in Honduras, and I've never been to Honduras, that would be utterly ineffective. And if we want to help the people there, we have to partner with people who are based in the region, who know the needs. Who well, yeah, and who are know com- how to help. We're asking like what their needs are and trying mm-hmm. to see how we can best inform each other rather than being like, well, let me do this for you or let, yeah. Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. For, no. Foreign aid, when it exists, a lot of time has been so plagued by neocolonialism and people coming in and being like, hey, I know best. I'm mm-hmm. going to do what I want here and you will right. accept it. And, you know, Kwame Nkrumah, who I say is the neocolonialism king, um, he was a prime minister of Ghana and spoke at the ANC, pretty much led it, wrote a ton of 
you know, theory about neocolonialism and opposition to neocolonialism. And, you know, it's really important to recognize the needs of people, to recognize what they actually need and not what you think they need, to make sure that they are the people taking control of their own experience. Right. Voicing their own needs. I mean, I think it's just an issue of being heard and being open to hearing and having a conversation rather than a one-sided sort of exchange. Yeah, and at Board of Boredom, we want everyone to be heard. That's really fundamental to our mission. Education is really important in empowering people to use their voices for the better and to speak up and advocate for themselves and others. And we're hoping to help create another generation of social justice warriors who can be advocates for themselves and others and create mass global change. Well, I guess that brings me to my next set of questions really smoothly, which is the org itself. And we've already talked a bit about about it, but maybe getting into like the services specifically, the impact like it has on the student populations that you serve. Um, So I guess my first like round of questions would be like about the services. So we've talked about the group classes and the one-on-one tutoring and some of the SAT and ACT prep. Um, so if, I just want to give you the space to kind of shed some light on the other services you guys offer. I know you guys have like ESL and immersion and study hall, etc. Yeah, so I can just go through and provide a brief overview of each of the prongs. So our first prong are group classes. So each weekday we provide between 10 and 20 group classes that typically last about 40, 50 minutes in a multitude of subjects in the core five academic fields. So like English, language, arts, foreign languages, history, mathematics, sciences, visual and performing arts, which includes singing, various instruments, Mm -hmm. um, improv, acting, et cetera, non-core academic topics like philosophy, public speaking, computer programming, et cetera, and physical education like yoga, dance, and Zumba spelled with two O's. Zoom. So fun. <laughs> Zoom. Uh, yeah. For, and for Board of Boredom students, Fridays are very special for two reasons. We have our fun Fridays and we have our activism Fridays. So of course, every day at Board of Boredom is enjoyable. That really is our mission. However, our fun Fridays feature more frivolous classes in addition to the academic ones. And at its core, as I've spoken about, Board of Boredom is fundamentally a social justice organization. So of course, we have one day every other week that is dedicated to teaching about various social causes in teaching our students how to be responsible, well-informed, and ethical global citizens. So past Mm -hmm. themes include race relations, environmental justice, um, gender, and feminism, and we've had immigration as a theme, and all the classes on those social justice and activism Fridays are dedicated to that one theme. And our group classes are offered to students to preschool through 12th grade. And of course, you realize that a preschooler can't be in a class with a 12th grader. So our classes, depending on the subject, do have age limits. And we have more classes that are tailored towards high school students, like AP check-ins, SAT, ACT prep. And then also classes that are geared towards our younger students, like preschoolers, that are things like story time, where our volunteers can go on with a bunch of picture books and read to the younger kids for 40 minutes. We have book clubs for all different levels of readers for them to get involved in classes in all of these subjects for all grade levels, whether it be preschool or 12th grade, there is a class for you at Board of Boredom. And um, 
Yeah, you know, we've had a whole lot of different activities that count as classes, like our study hall program. And we have a couple hours of study hall every day where people, you know, can go on the Zoom and pop in if they have a homework question and it's one off and not necessarily an individual tutoring question, or if they don't necessarily have a session that day. And the representative from, you know, our mathematics or science department or history department, English department, whoever the question suits can help the kid with their work. Or if someone's studying for a test and needs a little bit of support or has a question, they can pop onto study hall and ask that. We've also been known to do something called the juice room, which is a play on coffee house, but for kids where the kids can come and showcase their talents. And, you know, people really enjoy that. People have come from the improv classes and the performing arts classes and taken the stuff that they've learned at Board of Boredom and shown it off at Board of Boredom. And it's been something that they've tended to enjoy. And so at least seven of the classes that occur during the weekdays occur each week and employ a continuous curriculum. But we also have a lot of one-off opportunities that supplement. And furthermore, we have 12 structured academic courses with continuous curricula for varying age groups and skill levels that occur every weekend. And while most of our classes are conducted in English, many are conducted in Spanish and Mandarin because a large portion of our students speak those languages at home. Mm -hmm. And our classes are also attended by students all over the world. But it's really important that we can provide education to everyone, regardless of the language that they speak at home or are most comfortable with. And, you know, for that reason, our English as a Second Language and Immersion program is crucial to our mission of helping students who are based in the United States but don't speak English but still deserve access to the same kinds of resources. And we have we have a lot of students who are native Mandarin speakers and Spanish speakers who have been really passionate about teaching these classes. So Secondly, we offer individual tutoring for all ages, including high school and even university students. We've offered that to a couple university students in just about any subject imaginable, including, you know, subjects that aren't even offered at school. We've gotten requests that say dinosaurs. I'm not kidding. That request came in this Monday. Dinosaurs um, to, you know, more schoolwork based things, but subjects that really anyone wants to learn. We even have people offering individual music lessons. And these sessions take the form of one-on-one classes or homework and classwork help. And students from all over the world receive tutoring from Board of Boredom volunteers. And again, our immersion department is really integral to tutoring because we provide tutoring sessions conducted in a variety of different languages. um, You know, including sign language. And we have a lot of tutors that tutor and do their sessions conducted in Korean or Mandarin or Spanish because students from all over the world and who speak all different languages deserve equal access to a full education and enrichment and we aim to provide that. So third, we have our global education prong, which I spoke about before, so I won't be repetitive, but basically these are just special programs and Uh, various areas of the world that aim to target the needs of specific students there and are provided through residents of those areas who know the need and know how to best serve that population. Mm -hmm. And we also have a special program for students with auditory impairment. So this includes individual sessions to supplement the classroom learning that they might be receiving from school Mm -hmm. um, and ASL support for families and students as well as sessions for students who are primarily, who primarily learn in ASL. Right. And then 
our fifth prong, as I spoke about earlier, is closing the digital divide. And again, I won't be too repetitive, but we have been doing fundraising efforts to close the digital divide. So all of boredom, of boredom services are 100% free. And we urge families who are able to pay to make a donation to Board of Boredom so that we can further our mission of closing the digital divide. Um, so for volunteers, as I think I said earlier, we cycled through 800 some odd volunteers and tend to have about 400 active at any one time. And that number is growing exponentially because so many people want to get involved. We have a pretty rigorous process. The application has a couple questions, but, you know, we really take into account the security of both our volunteers and our students. So that's why we have interviews for prospective volunteers as well, just to make sure that, you know, everyone's safe and everyone will be a good educator and function well in the Board of Boredom community. And we have had a couple thousand students at one time or another because, yeah, we've had, we've had over a thousand students at any given time wow. because, you know, there's just such a need. And that's just in the United States. The thousand figure just refers to people who attend group classes in the United uh -huh. States on the weekdays. But yeah, we are, we're very impressed with the success that we have attained. And we're so thankful that we've had the opportunity to, you know, aid so many people. And <laughs> yeah, both of those numbers in terms of students and volunteers are growing exponentially for example i legitimately just opened our email inbox and we've gotten four new requests since the time we started this interview which is just really a wow. testament to how much board of boredom is growing and if you want i can share some references and quotes that we've gotten from parents if you want yeah i was going to ask about that like my last few questions um definitely wanted to ask if you had any like testimonials or feedback from um, students on like how this has impacted their life so i would love to hear um yeah what they've had to say yeah all right should i go for that yeah, now go ahead mm -hmm. all right so here is a quote from a fourth grade parent who said just wanted to give you and your peers much praise for your wonderful initiative for the community my fourth grader has really enjoyed the opportunities of having additional learning time. It's a difficult time for everyone, and neurodiverse kids especially struggle without routine and enrichment. I know so many parents who are overwhelmed right now, and this is a brilliant idea and help. And then I have another quote. Hmm, where to start? This program has been a lifesaver for our family as I work full time and my husband is overseas. Thank you to all involved for your dedication to the kids and hard work. My kids have very different interests. My seven-year-old boy faithfully attended all Lego robotics classes. Mm -hmm. The multiplication class on Saturday is another favorite of his. He enjoys story time too. My nine-year-old daughter loves spooky history, art, drawing, singing, ballet, and biology on Saturdays and book club on Sundays. The biology class got her so interested and now she's reading biology articles on her own. Wow. Uh, do you want me to share a couple more quotes? Yeah, I'd love to hear. This is so yeah, right. inspiring. Here's another one. I don't know what I would have done without Board of Boredom. When the pandemic hit and my kids were quarantined at home with little guidance from our school, it was Board of Boredom that came through and found his three amazing tutors for our kids. They have helped our second and fourth graders tremendously with science and even started a book club. My boys actually look forward to their tutoring time and I've learned so much in the past few months. I can't thank Board of Boredom enough for seeing a problem with the current state of the educational system and offering an effective solution. I would be lost without them. Then we also have your classes not only provide knowledge in a safe environment, but also positive and healthy social interaction in which each kid gets to participate. Thank you for all the hard work you guys put and dedicate to our society. 
And we receive countless emails from students and parents every day that are like that, you know, the students, it's just really amazing to see students who are actually really enjoying their time in tutoring sessions, you know, for a lot of people, tutoring can be boring and a do I have to kind of situation, Mm -hmm. but we get emails from from parents and students every day talking about how they look forward to their tutoring sessions and how they love the Board of Fordham classes so much and it's a highlight of their day. And that just really makes me smile because I know that I am, you know, making change. Yeah, that impact must feel amazing for you to hear and like know that you're reaching so many different people. And I think it's particularly amazing that you're hearing from these parents and saying how this has impacted not only their students, but their, um, sorry, their children, but their ability to like know that their students and children have access to these resources, especially with like the advent of learning pods and how that's kind of widening widening educational equity access for students in underserved communities who might not be able to pay for private tutoring so that you guys are able to give access um, to those students for free is just really amazing. So I did want to ask you two things. One is about the activism class. I wanted to know more about how with all these topics that you mentioned, be it climate change, immigration, or what have you, when you impart this information to students, how does Board of Wardens strive to engage them to get started in this advocacy work if they're interested? How do you pedagogically give them the tools and resources they need to take on these issues as youth activists? Yeah, totally. So our activism program was really a combined effort from a lot of our officers and our social media director actually put a lot of work into it. So shout out to Natasha right there because she did so much for this program. And for our Activism Fridays, we just, you know, we realized that we wanted to spread our message of social justice because that's what Board of Boredom is, a social justice organization. So each department has three department heads who run the operation and are really there as resources for the members of the department to come to if they need educational resources for their students or if they want any kind of guidance you know again this goes back to the egalitarian leadership mm-hmm. the fact that the leaders are more than anything resources for the volunteers to come to right. when they need that and they're even social resources they're just great people to talk to if someone needs that but anyways uh, like all the other departments our activism department has department heads who choose the topic every other week they they, um, you know, kind of just decide what the topic is based on what seems relevant at the time and mm-hmm. what people are most interested in. And then all the classes that day, so the 10 to 20 classes that day, are totally geared towards activism and mm-hmm. that one particular subject. So, for example, on our immigration day, and that's the example that I'll continue to use, I guess, on our immigration day, um, all the classes were surrounding that theme and topic of immigration. And so I taught a class that day and I taught about settler colonialism and artificial borders and Mm -hmm. how that impacts, um, you know, and it kind of has an effect on immigration and disrupting people's lives and how it continues to have an effect to this day. And I focus specifically on the Americas, so from South America to Canada. And, you know, I co-taught that with one of the people who is a member of pretty much all of our Board of Boredom departments. Uh, shout out to Cece right here. Um, great co-teacher. So we taught that class to a bunch of kids who decided to come. And it's really, it really is heavy subject matter. Definitely. But we spent a lot of time on the phone planning and making slideshow to 
kind of condense it into the form that our students were able to digest. We set an age limit so that mm -hmm. no one younger than fifth grade could come. So that it was primarily geared towards middle school and high schoolers just because of the maturity of the content, but Definitely. also because we wanted to make sure that people learn about this theme because it's so important, but it's been systematically erased by a lot of educational institutions, which is part of the logic of elimination and, you know, settler colonialism and kind mm -hmm. of really erasing the legacy of settler colonialism, which is really, frankly, awful. And so we just put in a lot of work trying to trying to make the presentation in language that, you know, younger kids could understand and show what was going on without being too graphic and permanently scarring them because that would not right. be beneficial, but we wanted to show what was going on. Mm -hmm. And of course, we realized that there, you know, advocacy and education go hand in hand and educating people on issues does a lot of good. However, it's more effective if you give them ways to act as well and show them mm -hmm. how they can act. And that's why it's really important that these activism classes also do provide ways that people can get involved. That's something exactly. that we really emphasized for the members of our activism department. And sorry, that leads me to say people get to choose whatever department they want to be in. They just indicate it on their application when gotcha. they're working mm -hmm. for them. So they get to choose and they can even add departments on throughout their time at Board of Board. But anyways, um, so for my class for on settler colonialism, I talked a little bit about getting involved with indigenous mutual aid organizations mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And, you know, just starting simple and having land acknowledgments when you, when you give a presentation or something. For example, uh, right now I am in an area of LA that's primarily Tongva land. Even something like that is just, it's a start in confronting confronting instances of settler colonialism when you see it yourself and honoring the legacies of people who have been affected by the American genocide and the American imperial machine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just informing the kids and telling them that they can get involved with mutual aid organizations run by indigenous people, that they can go to history museums, that they can correct people when they teach a sugar-coated version of history that doesn't Most reflect definitely. the atrocities of the American government, that they can figure out their own ways to get involved. They can find organizations that are doing valuable work. They can, when they're older and when they find them, when they're empowered to use their voices, they can go on the front line, help with rallies and protests, stuff like that. And we really, we really like to empower our students. And we, as one of our, the quotes that I just read to you says, we provide an opportunity for students to really engage in the classes and not just listen and passively absorb information, mm -hmm. but truly engage with the subject matter and the material, ask questions, discuss. And that's yes. really important to making people feel empowered on a subject especially yeah. in activism. Well, it's so important, not only that you, I think it's great that you're giving kids tools to get engaged, especially so that it's beyond just like um, imbibing information, but also finding ways to get involved. But I think like you said, like removing the taboo from having these discussions with kids and obviously like framing it in such a way that the content is like appropriate for their age group, but but not sugarcoating it and like removing or sanitizing part of our history as a nation and as a culture that has engaged in such genocide and or oppression um, and making sure that kids are aware of that and how that they can kind of change their future and the future of their country for the better or whether it's America or the world at large, I don't want to limit it to just America. Yeah. But um, 
I just think like that's a big part of the reason that I got involved in this work because um, specifically with our organization, Education Reimagined in the Bay, I was really passionate about the sanitation of like American historical and literary narratives in high school and middle school classrooms and how I felt like I was learning so much more about like the different kinds of narratives that inform our collective history when I got to college and how that was just too late. And I think mm -hmm. it's great that you're providing a forum for people to engage with this kind of material content and exchange from a younger age so that they can grow up to be more informed and active um, citizens of their community. So that's great. Yeah, thank you. It's like I know for a lot of English curriculums when they focus on American literature, why do some people, why do most of the people read, you know, The Great Gatsby, but ignore the experiences of non-white Americans during the period, you know, and why do they focus on As I Lay Dying by Faulkner, which don't get me wrong, is a wonderful book, instead of Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison. Right. I didn't read a Toni Morrison book until college, and, you know, so sad that she recently passed, but now one of my favorite authors, and I just think, like you said, like, it's not about put, uh, putting down a book, like, As I Lay Dying. It's about making sure that there's equitable space for all these different narratives to inform the, if we're just speaking about the American experience in literature, so that it's not a kind of universally hegemonic narrative, and it makes space for other stories. So many of my 11th grade teachers have just been so I'm in 12th grade now, but mm -hmm. my teachers last year were just a huge influence on me. My English teacher, for example, she really had this diverse curriculum for us to be able to read both Faulkner and Toni Morrison, mm -hmm. for us to intersect with the works of people who had, you know, these diverse ideas and diverse perspectives and were from different backgrounds. And we were able to engage with them in a way that was really amazing. And my APUSH teacher was teaching us about United States history through the lens of settler colonialism and a racial formation. And that was one of the most interesting classes I've ever had in part because, you know, she forced people to grapple with the legacy of American history and really unlearn everything that they had been taught up until right. that point. And it was just such a wonderful class. And it was taught through this lens of social justice. And I took an international relations class last year at my school as well. Mm -hmm. And we talked a little bit about, you know, colonialism and international relations and the way that humanitarian intervention has been portrayed as humanitarian, but isn't at its core and is really an imperialist invention. And, you know, I'm just so thankful to these teachers that I had for exposing these narratives and countering what's traditionally taught in your average high school. And I know that not all the teachers did that, but I'm so thankful that I had an opportunity for my journey to intersect with the ones who did. And, you know, I credit them so hugely with being an influence on me and the way that I engage in education and Board of Boredom and also my school's um, uh, educational specialist who has worked with me a lot as mm -hmm. a student with learning disabilities. I credit them so hugely right. with really, really putting me on this path to wanting to disseminate information and teach people and help people to learn and not just regurgitate facts at them and tell them absorb sponges, absorb, but to be able to really teach them and and engage with other people on this material and help them become ethical and socially conscious but developing their own consciousness and not learning what to think 
but learning how to think. And I think that it's also really important to be able to do that as a teenager. And then our, for our, a lot of our university students who are volunteers, young adults, because there have been ample studies that suggest that tutoring from younger people to younger people is way more effective than an adult talking to a child and tutoring a child. And we've seen that with Florida boredom. And we've seen that in the way that people are able to engage with similar lived experiences, because mm-hmm. you know, if I'm I'm 17 and if I'm tutoring someone who's 13 then a lot of our experiences have been happened very more of an overlap yeah yeah there's more of an overlap with that and also the fact that we are very cognizant of what the kids of today the kids in America and all over the world are looking for and what they want and how to keep them engaged and we've actually had some teachers who have expressed things for our work and we've had we've actually had a couple teachers whose kids are in board of boredom programs from various schools across the world Mm -hmm. and they've come to us and they have really talked about the ability that we as youth have to offer a unique perspective in education and help educate kids in different ways and uh, we have been coordinating with some educational professionals who have been you know trying to find opportunities to set up talks with us and other educational professionals to talk about keeping people engaged in virtual learning and it's just really awesome to see how this impact is spreading even beyond the work that directly we're doing simply by sharing our story yeah i mean i think the pedagogical sorry i can't speak pedagogical transformations that you've brought up are super important and valuable for like the future of education and totally lines up with the professional development I've done at my job as a tutor on a university campus and how peer-to-peer tutoring is so I don't think we often think about how much it can really impact our perspective on learning and how we can learn from each other in a more egalitarian way as we were saying before and a big part of our like training as tutors as you said is is less about like what I'm telling you and more about learning how to think like we kind of frame it in the way of like banking education versus problem posing banking being just i shove information at you and you regurgitate it and problem posing being more socratic and thinking Mm -hmm. like well how can i you know have a conversation with you to both help give you information that you need to learn but also train you to think um like independently and come to your own conclusions um so I think that's great that you guys like kind of impart that to your students and make that a big part of your pedagogical mission so that's really great to hear that that's a a big part of what Word of Boredom tries to do. Thank you. Yeah, and I guess that just brings me to my last two questions, um, which would be about like the future that you see for Board of Boredom, and you kind of briefly touched on it earlier about whether or not what the new normal will be with the pandemic, and if we will continue to be fully online or have some sort of hybrid situation. So what do you see the future of your organization being, and like what are the continued impacts you would like to have going forward? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to answer that. Thank you. So, you know, I think that it's dawning on all of us right now that there is going to be a new normal mm-hmm. in in the world at large because, you know, studies show that it's going to take years to recover from this pandemic and it will probably never go away, you know. Yeah. And so there's just going to be that new normal in which virtual learning is really keystone. Mm-hmm. And Board of Boredom is obviously going to keep up our involvement Additionally, you know, because we're international, the virtual model has actually worked really well because it's been able to connect students from all over the world and, you know, just people from all over the world. And you can have someone 
from Bahrain and someone from Beijing and someone from Los Angeles all in the same class. True story. We have had that happen. That's so cool. <laughs> and, and it's just really awesome to see. Yeah. And is really unique in that aspect because we have such cultural exchange and cross-cultural communication. And we just intend to continue offering our services virtually and, you know, like our individual tutoring. We're not going to stop anytime soon. There's always that need. Similarly, the digital divide has been so persistent that we're going to work as hard as we can to continue our fundraising campaign to close it. And we're going to continue offering our classes. And we've seen with the start of the school year, as schools are better navigating than they were in the spring and, you know, kids are going back to school, we're still offering our classes, although more of them happen to be later in the day and in the afternoon or earlier in the morning. We're still getting high attendance in our weekend classes as well. And Mm -hmm. all of these different operations that we have going on, we don't intend to stop anytime soon. And, you know, the board and our officers, our leadership has really been thinking about how the organization is going to continue in the coming years when we graduate and go to university, because obviously we still want to be be involved and we want to stay involved, but we also want to train a new slate of high school leaders because it's important that we are a high school run organization and that we're young people doing this work. And so we've been talking about how we're going to continue that and how we're going to make our new appointments and hold our elections in January so that we can train everyone for the future. Yeah, and it's good that you have that long-term perspective so that it, it can continue, the legacy can continue on. Thank um, you. It's, it's necessary. It's not just a one-off solution. Totally. And um, like you said, with like a one-off solution, I, I wanted to bring it back to something you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, which really stuck with me, which was um, Jewish word, or sorry, the Hebrew word for um, justice, Sidak, I believe. Sidaka. Sidaka, thank you. Excuse my accent. <laughs> no, please. I just, I love that you brought that up. And I just, based on like what we've been talking about, equity and education, just like what you see as being like what we need to do as a collective community and through Board of Boredom to like close the digital and just general educational equity divide and how like justice specifically plays a really big role in that and in other equitable divides in our communities. Yeah, thank you. Um, Yeah, so I think that, you know, I'm just going to connect this to a simple anecdote about Hebrew school, I guess. So Mm -hmm. I went to Hebrew school since preschool. I am actually an assistant Hebrew school teacher right now. And I've been doing that since I was in eighth grade. And that kind of put me on this path to being passionate about education and going into Board of Boredom and doing that. And anyways, every day, every Sunday, when we have Hebrew school, we collect tzedakah. And while we're actually collecting money, we call it collecting tzedakah, collecting justice. Uh And, you know, that money is donated to various causes and people, the, the kids who bring in money. And usually it's just a couple quarters a day because that's what we can expect. The kids are so passionate about it. You know, we have bins for different causes and they'll put their money in the jars for the different causes that they're Mm -hmm. passionate about and I just find it just so impactful that it's called collecting tzedakah not collecting donations but collecting justice because that's what it is it's students who are as young as four bringing in just a couple quarters and doing what they can to strive for justice definitely that's lovely that you're involved in that and that you guys are kind of teaching them what that means from such a young age and how they can make a difference. Um, Thank you. 
Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much for talking with me. And I've really enjoyed learning more about you and your organization. And I hope that we can like continue working together and to close these gaps. So thank you so much. Me too, of course. Thanks again to Hope for joining us today and for all the incredible work she has done and will continue to do. I hope you all enjoyed hearing a bit more about her story, her background, her life, motivations, philosophy, her work, and her organization, Board of Boredom. If you're interested in learning about how to get involved with their mission or you want to take advantage of their services, please go check out their website, boardofboredom.org. And you can get more information about their classes and tutoring services there. There's also info on how to become a volunteer teacher and how to donate to their Digital Divide fundraiser, just to name a few things. So be sure to check them out and get involved however you can. Finally, thanks for joining us and we'll be back soon with more stories about activism and changemakers to come. Bye for now.